Today's episode of Run the Film is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. Man, you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Wynn, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back. Welcome back. It is the Athletic Podcast Network, and once again, this is Run the Film. With your host, I'm Kirk Morrison, the eight-year NFL veteran, alongside Ted Nguyen. And look, Ted, this is uh, another great week of the NFL action. So much to get caught on, caught up on. We always had our news and notes, the recap of the games from week five that me and you kind of circled and we looked back and kind of give our analysis on what we've seen as far as the film, as far as, you know, different players and things that we saw. And then we'll take a look at, you know, move forward to week six and in our players to watch, as we always do on the run the film. So first, first off, Ted, to just to even start this uh, week's show, uh, the news and notes, I think the biggest thing that we had was Jay Gruden was fired the head coach of the Washington Redskins. And it just got me to start thinking, had he had run his course, what was the problem? Is it ownership? Is it Jay Gruden? To make a decision like this is a, a difficult, but it was necessary. Our 0-5 start is not just disappointing. It's, we had much different expectations for this uh, beginning of the season. We owe it to our fans to do everything we can to win. Under Bill's leadership and the programs he's going to put in, we believe we're giving it the best opportunity to beat the Miami Dolphins and for the rest of the year. And then also, too, is which coach might be next. So uh, just to kind of start there, what did you think of the Jay Gruden fire? Um, yeah, I mean, I think he sort of ran his course with the Washington Redskins, but I don't, I don't think that um, all the losing that happened in his tenure was totally his fault. You know, there was a lot, tons of injuries with the Redskins, uh, tons of bad decisions from ownership. And it, this is a pattern that we, we've seen from the Redskins. So I, I think it starts up top. Michael Lombardi wrote a pretty detailed article about the, the ownership situation with Dan Snyder and the Washington Redskins um, when Jay Gruden was fired for the Athletic. Uh, make sure you check that out. Uh, but I, I agree with them. I, I think that this, the Redskins aren't going to be right until uh, Snyder either gives up his power or they, they change ownership. It's just there's just too much for a coach to overcome such bad management from the general manager and owner of the Redskins. I, I think Jay Gruden is a brilliant offensive coach uh, as far as drawing up plays and as far as being a play caller. Uh, but that skill set isn't enough, and I don't know if any any coach has a skill set 
that is great enough to overcome all the the crazy things that are happening under the scenes with the Washington Redskins. Yeah, organizationally, I get it. You know, you want to feel like your organization is stable, and then you get the rumors or the reports coming out of there that Jay Gruden did not want to draft Dwayne Haskins. That was an upper management situation who wanted Dwayne Haskins, and I always feel like that was – uh, that's never going to work. There's always going to be that interlying, that under or underlying, I should say, tussle of power between ownership uh, and the coaching staff. I felt like I, I was kind of a part of that back in 2007 uh, when I was with the Raiders. And there was some in the organization who wanted to take Jamarcus Russell, number one. And then there was other people who thought about taking the guy by the name of Calvin Johnson, number one um, in that draft. So, you kind of go back and forth on who would have been a better player. You also think of Adrian Peterson was in that draft. and But if ownership wants a certain player, then that's the certain player that you're going to get. And at some point, that person or I mean, that guy will be playing. And uh, that that's kind of the hard part, I think, with, uh, with, with Washington, if you look at them now, because they're sitting at 0-5. And really, there's no way for them to – kind of go up from here, right? It's almost like the season is a loss. I can't say that. We're in week number six, Ted, and the Redskins pretty much are already kind of looking toward 2020, right? What did Drake say? Like he's he's got 2020 vision because he's already looking at 2020. But honestly, that's where the Washington Redskins uh, sit at. So it kind of got me to thinking. I, I put a couple coaches here, and I want to just kind of figure, kind of gauge your temperature on these coaches in terms of Jason Garrett of the Dallas Cowboys, who we'll get into, who lost last week against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Dan Quinn, head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. I think even Adam Gase is not too far removed where he can be uh, let go even after a season with the New York Jets. And I know a lot has been going on. He, he loses his quarterback for a little bit. But Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, should, dare I say it, they sit at one and four. Uh, if they have a bad season, could he be on the hot seat? So just a couple of names I threw out there just to start the podcast, Ted. But any of those guys you think could be in trouble uh, as probably the next coach probably fired at some point or even at the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Mike Tomlin might be safe, but just, you know, when you, you watch the Steelers and we're going to talk about the Steelers in a second. They just don't look like a, a very well-coached team as far as organizationally on the field with what they're doing schematically and their players being on the same page. Uh, but, you know, Tomlin has a Super Bowl. He has success with, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, so it's hard to see him getting fired. Um, Adam Gase is just – he's been there for one year, and I know it's, it, you know, it's been a disaster so far, but uh, he hasn't had his, his starting quarterback. And uh, this week, Sam Darnold will play. He's, he's back from mono. And I think he's actually going to make a pretty big difference for – the Jets, uh, he's a quick processor, which is going to help with the protection issue. And I, I just think he's really far ahead of the uh, the Jets' backup quarterbacks. So, um, I, I, you know, I don't think the Jets will all of a sudden become a good team, but I don't think they'll be um, the, a bottom five type of team like they, they, they've looked like. Um, and, and Dan Quinn, uh, man, he, he's a defensive head coach, and he took over the play calling for the Falcons this year and, and the defense looks even worse than it, it was before. So uh, I, I think Dan Quinn is probably going to be a, the next guy that gets fired in my opinion. Yeah. He's, I think his seat is probably the hottest <laughs> of the coaches I mentioned. So that's something that we will definitely take a look at, but now we kind of turn to, there's two teams that are left unbeaten in the national football league. And one, I think we kind of figured they would probably be undefeated. The new England Patriots, 
good solid team effort. You know, proud of the guy, the way the guys uh, prepared this week. And the players went out there and really thought we improved our execution. Not perfect, still have a long way to go, but we're making progress. So still things we can work on, things we can do better. Missed a couple opportunities, but it's a really good group that communicates well and plays a great effort and good awareness. We're very fortunate. We have a lot of, a lot of good players. But sort of the second undefeated team is sort of the team I think a lot of people just didn't see that coming. The San Francisco 49ers, they sit at 4-0. Same way you handle 0-5. You don't pay attention and you just go to work. So I think we got the right guys. Um, I know today was a lopsided game, but, you know, the, the league's too hard to just be overconfident. Every week's a tough week, and we got a lot of work to do. Still got some guys who are waiting to get back from injury, and um, that game by no means was perfect. And, and right now, I think they're the surprise of the NFL at how well they're playing, uh, how well they are playing. And then they had an outstanding Monday night game that we'll be breaking down here shortly. But just your take on the two undefeated teams left in the National Football League right now. Yeah, I think um, they definitely benefited from playing a, a bit of a weaker schedule in the, <laughs> the beginning of the year. But I mean, I mean yeah. you know, they're doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, they're not just winning um, games. They're dominating these games, um, except for the Niners had a little bit of a hiccup against the Steelers. But other than that, they, they've pretty much uh, dominated their opponents. And, and we know that the Patriots are dominating their opponents at uh, a historic rate. I mean, their defense is first in every single category. By, by a long shot it's not even close and that's extremely tough to do in today's modern football um so yeah there is they played they played a bit of an easy schedule but they are doing what they're supposed to do and, and the, they're not not giving these teams any hope but um you know the Niners are going to be playing the Rams this this week so that's going to be a, a big test for them and um who are the Patriots playing next week uh, the Patriots are. Oh, they're playing the Giants. So Giants. They got another, yes, Thursday, yeah, they got another yeah. sort yeah. of easy game. The Thursday game, yeah, they get a chance to play. That's going to be fun, though. But two undefeated teams left. It's funny. We got one in the AFC, one in the NFC. So it's going to be good to see how these uh, two teams, how long the undefeated uh, may last. But now we go and restart to review the games or recap the games uh, from week number five. And I think I'll, I'll start. Uh, right here because we got a you know about four games where we really take a look at and really dive into but I think the first game that we want to watch or we want to look at is the Ravens and the Steelers now the Ravens end up winning this game division rivals it don't matter what the records are what the situation is it's gonna be a tough physical game and I know the AFC North has a reputation of being physical tough ball man we just was able to make enough plays to get the W but sometimes it's ugly but you know a W is a W 26 to 23 in overtime. Lamar Jackson didn't have his best games, but best of games. But when you look at what he did in, <clears throat> in overtime, um, especially looking at what he had to go up against on the opposite side of the field, Mason Rudolph, starting quarterback for the Steelers, knocked out of this game. Delvin Hodges um, had to finish up this game. Um, and so it was just a weird kind of a game. I think a lot of people thought the Steelers would, would you know keep the game close for the most part. But when Ray Rudolph went out of the game, I thought it was the Ravens were going to take over. But yet this game really was close all the way down the stretch. What, what did you see, Ted? Uh, I, I thought that the Ravens would run away with this game, and I, they had a chance. It's just uh, the turnovers from Lamar Jackson was were too much to overcome, and that really helped them uh, help the Ravens stay in this game. Um, and 
surprisingly, uh, Rudolph played a lot better than I thought he was going to. Hodges played better than he I, than I thought you know, he was going to yeah. when he got into the game. He even led them to a, t- a touchdown drive. Um, so um, the things I saw, I, I thought Devin Bush, the, their uh, first-round rookie that they draft, they traded up in the draft to get, played extremely well. He, he had a bit of a shaky start um, to the beginning of the season, but... Uh, he's come on, come on of late, and he's he played really well. And that interception that he had, um, that that was an amazing interception. You know, he was out of phase, so he was chasing the tight end. And you know, when you're out of phase, you're in a losing position. And he just timed it so perfectly where he got his hands into uh, where the ball was going to be, and somehow intercepted a pass. So that was really impressive. Um, I I I don't like the spacing in the Ravens passing game. Like when you look at their passing concept, there's too there's too many receivers just like bunched up with each other, and I, I think that had a lot to do with some of Lamar's interceptions. Uh, so that's something they have to work on. But they're also pretty banged up. Um, you know, Marquise Brown had to leave the game. Mark Andrews is is dealing with an injury right now, so he doesn't look explosive as he was. Uh, so they just don't have a lot of um, weapons available to them outside at at full strength. Uh, so the passing game is suffering, but Lamar did make enough plays at the end of the third quarter and fourth quarter to get them back in his game and eventually in, into a winning position. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that when I watch the game is that it, it is a situation in which a guy like Lamar Jackson makes just enough plays for his team to win. But this is probably uh, of the games that I've seen him play, um, the three interceptions to me a little bit concerning because I think that He's starting to press just a little bit more. To me, let's not forget, this is a running football team, okay? They're going to run the ball, but when they're not running the ball, you know, effectively like they would want to, then that's where sometimes I feel like he has to find ways down the field to make throws, and he's throwing into some tighter windows now, right? Like the windows aren't as as open as they once were because everybody's gearing up to stop the run. But what, if you're able to do that, you can sit back in a little bit more zone and force Lamar Jackson, and you know, obviously with a spy around him, but to keep those windows a little bit tighter. And I watched in the game, and it's just there, there's certain points in the game where I feel like he tries to just do too much. You know what I mean? And that's when he gets a little bit in trouble. But for the most part, I saw him stiff arm a guy as well. Like his elusiveness, just watch him throughout the game. It, he he gives you an opportunity. He's an exciting guy to, to, to watch. But they also have, to me, one of the things that they just have to complete drives to. Because I think that this is a, a team that can score 35, 40 points a game, possibly. But a lot of drives, they end up stalling. Now, I know you don't have to take a lot of chances because you have one of the best field goal kickers of all time in Justin Tucker. But I think that's something that they can take a look at as well in terms of how are we handling once we get you know across midfield? How are our shots looking down the field? And when Marquise Brown goes out of the game, I think me and you, Ted, we would understand this. Who's going to scare you and beat you down the field? Because Marquise Brown, when he's on the field, I'm terrified because I know that he can get behind my defense. When he's out of the game, now it's going to force the – well, it forces the Ravens to play a game, what I call 0-15, to 15, that no one's really going to scare me out after 15 yards. Everything is going to be nice and condensed. Look, the tight ends are going to be effective, but no one's going to be able to get behind the defense. And that's where Lamar Jackson really has to start being able to go through his progressions. If it's not there, take off. But if it if it is there, be able to play in rhythm and anticipation, which is something that he has not done a lot of, which is play with better anticipation. Can he throw the deep ball? Absolutely. Can he throw some out routes and things like that? Yes, he can throw with great touch. 
But the one thing that I'm seeing is that he doesn't have the anticipation and he's going to get it better at that. I, I know he will. Yeah. And, and I think that he, he his anticipation is, is good in, in those middle throws, but on right. the outside throws is it, you know, that's what, what the defense is giving him now. He He's not throwing those outside throws with great anticipation. And uh, a good example is that is that touchdown that he almost had right before um, overtime um I, I believe it was Seth Roberts that got wide open on a corner route uh, but he just barely missed him but he he threw that ball late you know if he threw that ball on on time when Roberts uh made his cut to the outside that would have been a touchdown that would have been the end of the game they wouldn't have to go overtime so I agree that he has to get better with anticipation and timing and uh that kind of thing comes with a little more um experience so uh, I think Lamar's on, on on the right path as far as his um, his development as quarterback, but he still has some room to grow. Yeah, a ton of room to grow, but you know the Ravens are still feel pretty good about themselves. Like they like they win the game. Obviously, they're three and two in a division. Well, I would say uh, a division in which a lot of people expected the Cleveland Browns to be at the top, but definitely not at the at the moment. So it's still a wide open division, if you ask me, outside of Cincinnati. But now we return to oh, our next game that we would like to review is from last week's Packers-Cowboys game, Ted. And whew. We're just a more connected team this year. We're enjoying each other more. We like each other, I think, a little more. We hang out with each other. It's uh, The locker room is a raucous environment, whether it's a, you know, a Monday or whether it's right after a big win. Um, I just think guys really really play for each other more and we have that chemistry that because of the leadership that we have that maybe we've been lacking the last couple of years i i'll say this i came into the week that that was going to be the game of the week and i know a lot of people thought the cowboys uh were probably going to win possibly being at home but i really ted i honestly thought that the green bay packers having coming off the loss that they had sort of embarrassed against the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday night, having an opportunity to go on the road and go into Big D, have their game plan and really play at their will. I'm going to pick the Green Bay Packers to go into Dallas and win this game just because I think Aaron Rodgers knows how to handle Dallas Stadium, which is going to be rocking. If you don't have Aaron Jones on your fantasy yet, draft him this week. Um, I got some thoughts on this, but I want to get your initial thoughts before I tell you what I saw watching that game, watching the film. Yeah, I I thought that the Cowboys were going to win this game because, one, they're playing at home. Two, I thought it was a fluke game against uh, the Saints where they only scored 10 points. Um, and and I, the, the one weakness the Packers' defense has shown in recent weeks is, is their run defense. I thought that uh, Zeke Elliott was, was going to give them all sorts of trouble inside. They're going to be able to control the clock. I thought Prescott would take care of the ball. Um, but Prescott, he, he played he had a really bad game. I know he threw for 163 yards, uh, but he had he threw for three interceptions. The first one wasn't really his fault, but he did throw it pretty far behind uh, Cooper. But he could have easily had five or six interceptions because a couple got dropped. Uh, he got bailed out on a couple. Uh, so was, and he was just really late on some cover throws. So he uh, wasn't good on his part. Um, the Packers offensive line, they, they look, they look like they're getting so much better every game. And, um, I thought they would have a lot of trouble running against the Packers because they're a perimeter running team with their outside zone game. 
but they really came out and uh, decided that they're going to pound the ball inside uh, with inside zone. And uh, they, they did such a good job of displacing um, the Cowboys front. And Aaron Jones, uh, he, he ran with, with such power and great timing with his cuts. Um, and I played against him in fantasy, so every time he scored a touchdown, it was just painful to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he single-handedly yeah. beat me this week. I mean, four touchdowns. Uh, just amazing game by um, Aaron Jones. And uh, and Rodgers looked like, you know, he, he's getting more and more comfortable in his offense. So uh, hats off to LaFleur. He, he's really and and Mike Pettin, their defensive coordinator, they, they're really doing a great job this year. Yeah, I, I think – the, you know, when I really turned the game on and, and, and watched it, the first thing that I really, really noticed was that, first of all, Devontae Adams was not playing. And so I said, what is this going to look like now? No Devontae Adams, no big play threat for the Green Bay Packers. Devontae Adams, I think one of the best route runners in the NFL, a guy who's just got unbelievable catch radius. And then when you think about him in the red zone and the back shoulder fade with Aaron Rodgers, like take that out of the offense. Okay, what do they have now? And I really thought that Matt LaFleur, his game plan to me was similar to what I think me and you had a chance to break it down uh, last year in the playoffs between the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Rams. And when I say we, we had a chance to break it down was it really looks to me that they got the run game going. But a lot of it, again, is to what is sort of the it's a positive and a negative. Right. It's a gift and a curse with these Dallas Cowboys linebackers. Right. With whether it's Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith. It was so many times that the flow and the action goes one way and it just gets the linebackers out of place where the offensive line doesn't necessarily have to have this outstanding block. They just kind of got to get in the way. And that gave Aaron Jones just a, the space that he needed. And he gets into the you know the second and third level of a defense. And so I thought a lot of what they were doing in running the ball was more so of just because of the linebackers really out of their gaps, just moving way too fast. It's, I mean, they are so fast to a point where it's almost to a point, like, how do you tell a guy to slow down? Because what also we saw was not just a running game with Aaron Jones, like you mentioned, but I thought the checkdowns with Aaron Jones as well was was wide open. You know what I mean? It was to a point where you've got guys who dropped off in coverage in the cover three. Aaron Rodgers looked through, went through his progressions, checked it down, and it's about coming up, rallying, and tackle. But these guys are so fast that you make a move or two on them, and there goes Aaron Jones for another five yards, you no know, ten yards, fifteen yards, and that's really what created the other big plays. Ted, um, I also saw this too. Maybe we may see more of this throughout the year, but when the Packers went empty, right when they spreaded everybody out, they kind of knew what the coverage was. They knew they were going to get man to man. I saw Jalen Smith on Aaron Jones, who was lined up at the number one receiver, which we see. So, you know, the number one receiver is a receiver all the way out uh, closest to the sideline. And they just ran two verticals. And then he was the number one receiver who came and just ran an in route. And Jalen Smith, you know, just couldn't really keep up. So maybe that could be another thing where how do you keep Jalen Smith as active of a linebacker as he is for the Cowboys? How do you get him out of the box? Well, maybe start having more, you know, situations in which he's got to go out there and cover, which I thought was another great game plan, which opened up the middle of the defense as well. So I saw that. And then – 
Uh, another thing that I, I wrote down as I watched it was the, the Dallas Cowboys are a good team, but they're different without Tyron Smith, right? <laughs> like, let's just be honest. Like, Tyron Smith is a difference maker. If that dude's not on the field, well, that's where Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith both, you know, both really got after it. I mean, they were, you know, pressuring Dak Prescott, you know, th- throughout the entire game. So, you you mentioned the defense of Mike Pettin, and I really thought that just the those guys really put a ton of pressure on Dak Prescott, forced him to have to hurry uh, some throws and 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 not play with the anticipation that we're kind of accustomed to seeing. Obviously, some receivers didn't help him out in a couple situations, but um, I just love the way that the secondary is playing as well, especially Jair Alexander. I know it's a guy we talk about a ton because it seems like he's always making plays um, from game to game. So bad game this game, though. Yeah, it it was. I wouldn't even say it was a bad game. I would just think that in a situation that Mike Pettin put him in was that you're going to play man to man with Amari Cooper and we're going to get the ball out. So it was kind of a. Uh, a risk reward, you know, kind of thing that you're going to get a lot of opportunities. How can you hold up? And at the end of the day, I would say when I'm looking at the score at the time when it was 24-0, I mean, he's holding up his end of the bargain. He's going in at halftime saying, I've kept Amari Cooper out of the end zone. Like It goes back to what me and you talked about. Remember, would you rather give up catches or touchdowns? You could have all the catches in the world, but you, as long as you don't catch a touchdown, I could care less. Like, oh, man, he had 20 catches. Perfect. How many touchdowns did he have? Zero. So guess what? He got the same amount of points I got. So that's kind of something that I looked at within the game. And and just I just didn't see, you know, the Dallas Cowboys defense and the offense playing that kind of way and being down so early. Now, look, it came back and it was a game. Uh, but still, though, uh, just an outstanding performance by Matt LaFleur and his bunch. Yeah, and I think I was just a little surprised just because Jair has been so locked down this season, and uh, to see him just give up those yards to Cooper was a little surprising to me. But and, and I thought you know that Cooper would struggle with Jair because Jair is so physical, and, and we've seen Amari uh, struggle with some physical corners, but his footwork and explosiveness was just it was just too much to handle in those one on one situations and. Uh, you know, Jair's, he, he's still alert, a learning uh, guy, a corner that's young, and he's still developing, and uh, this is definitely a, a learning experience for him, I thought. You know, w- one last thing, too, as we kind of wrap up our, our review of the Dallas Cowboys and Green Bay Packers, um, you still look at a guy like Zeke Elliott, and I thought Zeke still got his yards. He still got his touches, and it seems to a point where, you know, at, at what point do you kind of – I would say go away from Zeke because they, I didn't see him enough in the passing game. I really think that they're not utilizing him enough in terms of the check down, the screen game. You know what I mean? Kind of giving the, the defense something else to have to guard. When he's in the backfield, look, he's a great runner. But seeing him in the passing game, I think they got to get that going early because it brings another element. They didn't do that. Ezekiel Elliott, only two catches uh, on a day, 29 yards. He didn't have a, a long of 27 but it's it's those types of plays that to me puts a puts a lot of pressure on the defense, and I'm only saying that because I saw with Aaron Jones on the other side and how it put a lot of pressure on Van Der Esch and also uh, Jalen Smith. No, I, I totally agree. I mean that that wheel route was a great call, but it, it just happened too late. Too late in the yeah. game. Yeah. So I, I agree. They need, and I've been saying this for a while. They need to get Zeke involved in the passing game. He's a good receiver. 
Okay. Now, as we wrap that up, um, in terms of Green Bay and Dallas, we take a, a little bit of time to think about our next game. Coming in here, people not believing us. Uh, this team coming in, they were a great team, but we came out here and got the victory. They holding the guys to 13, man. It was pretty crazy, man. Um, guys just flying around getting sacks. Even though that guy made unbelievable plays, man, we holding good. And <laughs> shout out to the defense, man. So as we turn to the Colts and the Chiefs on Sunday night football, the one thing that I thought about going into this game, Ted, was that, look, all right, Colts, they played the Raiders the week prior, right? The Raiders just put a beat down on the Colts, even at home, too. So I'm like, man, what kind of Colts team are we going to be getting? They go on the road to Kansas City. I mean, I don't think anybody picked the Kansas City Chiefs not to win this game. I mean, it was like basically Kansas City, and then we'll see what kind of effort we get out of Indianapolis but I knew fairly quickly watching that game, especially in the early part of it, that this was going to be a little bit different. And I think what made it, I think, a little bit different for me was that the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, look, when you think about him and Jacoby Reset being the guy who's kind of replacing Andrew Luck, who retired, we know, during preseason. And it was like, how is would Jacoby Brissett be as the quarterback? Could he be the quarterback for the future? Or could this be a situation in which he's kind of a holdover till the Colts have to go out and draft another guy? But watching him throughout the game and before we dive into different plays and what we saw, I'm just going to kind of critique Jacoby Brissett, who was 18 of 29, 151 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. You would think, oh, wow, that was that's not a great performance. But to me, I think it's a little more than the, the stats. It's not about him throwing touchdowns. It's to me, it's just his presence. It's just the way that he commands the huddle. It's the way that he looks so calm at the line of scrimmage. It's the way that his decisions are, the way that he goes through his progressions. It's the way that when he pulls the football down, he's got a plan. He's not trying to scramble to throw. He's scrambling to get what he can and move on. He didn't take a ton of hits. He caught out the right protections. I mean... In, in a game in which a guy didn't throw a touchdown but an interception and only threw for 151 yards, I just walked away really, really impressed at Jacoby Brissett, and I really think that he's got a future in this league. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I, I thought that the Colts weren't in huge trouble, obviously, when Andrew Luck retired because I thought, you know, Brissett, even though he didn't have a great first year as a starter uh, with the Colts, I thought he showed enough to where I, you could say, all right, if this guy has the right protection and some weapons around him, he could be a starting quarterback in this league. And he, I think he's proven that so far this season. Um, you know, the Colts are, they're three and two right now. And, um, and he's one of the big reasons why. And I, he's not putting up monster numbers, but like you said, he, he's a steady presence back there. He makes the right plays. He's not turning the ball over. A ton, and when he has to, he could take off and run. And he had, he had a rushing touchdown against the Chiefs, and um, I, I was I was really impressed with um, the Colts secondary. I mean, you know, missing Malik Hooker, missing Darius Leonard, being able to play all that man to man against the Chiefs' dangerous weapons, and still be able to hold the Chiefs um, to only 13 points. It was just uh, um, crazy, you know, good performance from them. Yeah, no, I think that's the, the, the next part of it. Uh, as we start with, I guess, the Indianapolis Colts first, because I thought their game plan was pretty easy. People have talked about it, you know, many different times, right, Ted? It's like, if you're going to play against the Chiefs, what do you, what's the best recipe um, to for success? 
And I've said the best recipe for success is if I see Patrick Mahomes on that sideline. And for the most part, I thought the Indianapolis Colts, they did that. They had they had a, the time of possession was 37 minutes to 22 minutes, right? 37-15 to 22-45 in favor of the Indianapolis Colts. They had some outstanding long, long drives. And even the drives that I think sometimes people look at and say, oh, well, uh, they didn't score a touchdown. Yeah, they didn't score a touchdown, but still, I just thought that, you know, even even a field goal drive of seven plays, 61 yards, 11 plays, 74 yards. Those are the types of plays or the drives that I say, wow, that, that that's that's a good drive. I mean, think about this one. Seven minutes and 40 seconds, 14 plays, 35 yards. I'm sorry. It was eight minutes and 34 second drive. The 14 plays, 35 yard. And I'm watching this the whole entire time. Like, is, is this is, is this for real? Because the Colts are on the sideline. I mean, the Colts are just driving the ball and the time is just coming off the clock. And yet you know, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes is literally, literally on the sideline and he can't do anything. And we know he was a little bit banged up, but still, I just thought the game plan was to run the ball, be physical, come with different, you know, different sets. And I think that's what. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs, if you look at their defense, they've struggled in stopping the run. Marlon Mack had a career game. I thought that he was very impressive. And you don't get a chance to see him too often on the national stage, but I I liked his running style. He was very downhill. He showed the elusiveness. He was quick out of the backfield. And then you throw in Hines as well, who's kind of the receiving target uh, slash receiving target slash running back. I just thought the little combination of those two guys really helped out the Indianapolis Colts and what they were trying to accomplish, which was keep the Kansas City defense off their off guard a little bit, like do not allow them to get comfortable. And I thought that they never got comfortable just because of the different formations and things that the Colts were doing offensively. Yeah, and I, I think the the formula that we've seen that works against the Chiefs uh, and is sort of the uh, it started in New England. Obviously, New England had success against them. Um, last year and then Detroit had some success against them last week with the same game plan is you, you play man to man you take your your wrist trying to play bump and run coverage and knock uh, knock them off the rhythm get some pressure on the quarterback uh, force turnovers by trying to punch out the ball and um, and then when you get the ball on offense you gotta you gotta play uh, ball possession and run the ball well and like you mentioned that, that was a huge key in the game and uh, the Chiefs were—they were trying to stack the line too. Uh, they were trying to put defend, extra defenders in a box, uh, but that Colts offensive line was just so dominated. Oh. Quentin Nelson—it just seemed like they were getting a huge push on every single, um, every single run. And you know, they were stacking the line, so they weren't getting huge runs on every play, but they were getting you know four or five yard pops. Um, and the line was just moving and Mar- Marlon Mack, he, he's not like an orthodox runner. You know, he's kind of right. that Le'Veon <laughs> Bell feel to him, right. but it, it's working right now, you know, and, and with that line getting as much push as he is, he has room to make those weird little cuts in the backfield and, uh, and it just kind of confuses the defense. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Quinn Nelson, he, he's not a, not a guy. A, you don't typically say, I want to go watch this guard play. But you want to watch Quentin Nelson play because he he's just so violent. It's it's fun to watch. 
Yeah, that's right here on my list of notes. The left side of the offensive line, Anthony Costanzo, Quentin Nelson, that left side of the line obviously was featured a ton. If you watch the way the Colts ran the football, a lot of it was either they were going straight on the left side or they were starting out right and then cutting it all the way back to the left side. I mean, Quentin Nelson, to me, I, like you mentioned, it's fun watching a guard like that, the way that he plays, how physical he is, just moving guys out of the way. And I know that if I just – run the wave if I'm a running back, right? I was a running back in high school for a little bit. So I could say I, I know a little bit about running the wave, which is kind of going with the flow of the offensive line, but I know where the break is going to be at. And a lot of times the break in which I can put my foot in the ground and go north and south is on the, you know, either side of of a, of a guy like Quentin Nelson because he gets so much great push and then he works up to the second level a ton as well. And he just doesn't block you. He finishes blocks. And when you're finishing blocks, that's always going to be easier for a back to know that, hey, I know he's going to finish. I just got to get through, get to the second level, and then kind of move forward. So the Colts' game plan defensively, offensively, I, I just thought was outstanding. But then when I look over at the Kansas City Chiefs and just what they were doing offensively, I thought there was just really no run game. It, it just really turned this team into a, a one-dimensional team. Like, I, as much as you think of the Chiefs and their high-scoring offense, I always thought that they ran the ball effectively, whether it was with Damian Williams, whether it was with, um, you know, obviously Patrick, I mean, uh, uh, LaShawn McCoy. But when you don't have that running game going like that, if you only rush for 50, how many rushing yards? They only had 36 rushing yards. Like now you get into a situation is that, OK, I know what you what you're going to do. You're going to pass the ball. And I thought these corners, like you mentioned, Rocky Sin, one of the, the young corners that they drafted, the kid out of Temple. I thought he played an outstanding game. I thought, you know, the basically the, the, the safeties filling in for for Hooker. I mean, they didn't take. Travis Kelsey away, but I thought they played some tight coverage. They got a couple calls on it. It was just for them was that, hey, we're going to go out there and compete. And that's what I saw for the most part as I saw a defense in the Colts that was competing against uh, the offense of the Chiefs and not allowing the big play. Like we didn't see the big play that we've seen over and over. They, they limited the big play. And it's crazy to say that when you take away the big play from the offense of the Kansas City it just looked like a regular offense, right? They just were throwing the ball around. It turned looked like a seven-on-seven seven tournament. And if you're playing that tight coverage, it really forced, you know, a guy like Patrick Mahomes, forced him to have to make some tough, tough throws. And then also, look, he forced him out of the pocket a little bit. Now, I know he was banged up, but yet I still felt this offensive line was giving up a ton of pressure and not allowing him to let it set his feet and make some good throws. Yeah, and they're giving up some interior pressure, which is really hard for a quarterback to deal with. And, and Mahomes did make a, a few of those signature tough throws that we've, we've seen him make in the past, but you, you just can't rely on that ability too much. And we, we saw that with the Colts. You know, like we, we know but Mahomes can make these throws, but that can't be your, your, the only way you're moving the ball. And to, to, to only rush the ball, 14 times and not I, I don't know why they didn't give the ball to um LaShawn McCoy at, at all even once yeah yeah no I mean he got the ball twice and he had one big play and he, he fumbled but fumbled. Um, right. he, he, he was a pretty effective runner for them uh, in the last in the beginning of the season and he didn't get the ball once so that's got to be an area of emphasis that the, the Chiefs are going to work on is to uh, get the running game going. They're they're not going to be a running team, but they they need to be able to to run the ball 
efficiently in in some cases. They're one of the top teams in um, run success rate last season, and, and this season their run game, you know, it, it's been okay in the, in the first few uh, few games, but uh, against the the Colts, that that type of effort is just not acceptable. Yeah, it's just not. And I think kind of when you start to move forward, you are gonna kind of look at a situation and say, well, you know what, the the more the more difficult a team makes it in terms of you running the football and making you one dimensional, it's going to be a lot easier to kind of go out. And to me, honestly, it's going to keep you right there in terms of being able to play a lot more coverage, play a lot more man, be a little more flexible, go cover two, go cover three, be able to blitz. You could do more when you limit a team to just being able to just pass the ball. For more NFL content, week six previews and players to watch, go to theathletic.com slash run the film.